0: Welcome to the Caps the podcast. This is episode 174. You've got Chris and Brian, and this time we're going to talk about doing small unit tactics-ish type things with rifles at intermediate rifle distances, so anywhere from 75 to 300 yards. Yep. Some of the lessons learned along with why you might want to seek out this
1: type of training. Absolutely. Um, guys, this is something that our, our merry little band of misfits has been doing off and on for, a, for I don't know, four or five years or more. Yeah. Um, and, but we only put a few days, a year into it, um, because it's, it, it, I don't want to say it's esoteric cause I don't think that it's esoteric. Matter of fact, I think more and more that it may be something that, you know, someday somebody's gonna have to teach to other people in the civilian world, uh, because of a just complete collapse of freaking modern society in this country. Um, and I, I, don't say that lightly. I don't say that tongue in cheek. I don't say that like, man, I can't wait for that day. Um, you know, I'm an old fat dude. This stuff is hard. It's it's physically, it's it's hard. Um, but but it's something that's kind of one of those things, if you served in the Army, you served in the Marine Corps, there's a pretty good chance you learned how to do this. Um, if you served in the Navy and you weren't combat arms, you probably don't have any idea what this is about, and it doesn't apply to your world. If you served in the Air Force, uh, unless you were like base defense, you know, a sky Cop or base defense or something or like that, a or a JTAC or something like that, you probably didn't learn anything about this either. Uh, maybe a PJ as well, because sometimes they get assigned to units that do this kind of stuff. Um, but just like basically small unit tactics, patrolling, engaging, etc., and breaking contact. And I would say the biggest thing for the mentality for us is probably a lot more about breaking contact because you and your married little band of misfits are... Going to meet up with Rick Grimes at Terminus, and you wander into an ambush and need to break ambush and disengage because you're overwhelmed, outmanned, outgunned, whatever. Um, that these, you know, like I said, so if you were prior service Army, prior service Marine Corps, um, you're probably going, uh, yeah, and you know, no big deal. Um, th- this is something that, like I said, we kind of get into for a few days a year because it brings a lot of things together, um, not just the actual skills of patrolling themselves, but uh, shoot, move, and communicate actually all have to happen here
0: yeah emphasis on the move and communicate parts
1: absolutely Uh, because the shooting honestly at this point the shootings you know it it gets harder as you get smoked physically but if you have good fundamentals the shooting the more we do this the better the shooting is right because now you can focus on everything else and the shooting's just not even a distraction at this point um so it's kind of one of those things where it brings to light what kind of pt you've done what kind of shape you're in it brings to light um your ability to get not get sucked into a target not get sucked into your sights or your optic or whatever um and and actually get your head up and look around and see what's going on um to communicate with somebody who's maybe not quite keeping up with what's going on or somebody's getting sucked in uh it, it it speaks to the idea of in certain situations the person who should be an element leader maybe ends up physically in the wrong position in the element to be the leader. So can you tell yourself you're gonna take lead, or can that person tell you, hey, you take lead? Um and all those different things start bubbling up. And and so it's something that I I I, I look forward to this and I don't look forward to it because this is the first year where physically it hasn't it didn't feel quite as grueling because also the first year where it wasn't 90 some flipping degrees yeah. and humid as hell we actually got a break in the weather this year and it was only like, in the mid 80s or low 80s. low 80s yeah so it was actually very comfortable doing this um, and so yeah I, I like I said it's it's a lot of work but I think it shows if you've got a group of folks that you train with that are safe to do this kind of stuff around um, it, it lets everybody bring a lot of lessons to one place to a very fine point. Um, and it, and you, you learn a lot, I think. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, we had eight guys. Yeah. So we had two four
0: four-man, effectively two four four-man fire teams. Yeah,
1: two four four-man elements. Um, and, and we started off by doing probably the most esoteric of any of the things we'd be doing. Except for possibly in an urban environment, we did basically an Australian peel or a DD Mao or a whatever, or a, a straight to the rear for a linear movement, a straight and to a the center rear. center peel. Center peel, yeah. Um, and so, it, it basically, the, the gist of it was just moving away from fire in a safe fashion, and you have the lead two guys are dealing with contact. Nobody else really can because the lead two guys are in front and the lead two guys are focused on getting out of the way for the next guys to deal with contact, and then the next two guys to deal with contact, and then the next two guys to deal with contact. And it was something that after we did it once or twice, you kind of realized the urgency in, especially in that manner of movement, not getting sucked into the target, You know, taking your couple shots to keep someone's head down and then getting going and getting out of the way so the next guy can take his couple shots so that the bad guy's heads have to stay down and and the guys moving aren't getting dinged in the back as they're moving away. interesting concept um all this all this stuff that we're doing we're doing we're adapting to an environment that doesn't require it in any way shape or form so it's hard to imagine why you're doing it until you can picture where you're using it um but anyway interesting movement um curiously enough it seemed like the closer we were to the targets the worse we shot the further we got away the better we shot
0: yeah too a little bit um... This is, this is one of those activities that for our environment, um, we generally do this from a knee instead of going prone. Yeah. Um, once we got back a little bit further, um, everybody started going prone, which I think explains some of that.
1: I would agree with that. Well, Uh, yeah, for sure. But still, still. Yeah. And it's also,
0: you know, the idea of you're doing anywhere from like a 15 to a 25 yard sprint. Yeah. Taking a knee, trying to get set up. Yeah. Um, yeah taking your shots, then doing another 20-yard sprint. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of sprinting and then waiting and yeah. then trying to be stable while you're waiting. Yeah. Uh, which is not necessarily an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, it really, this is an activity that we don't necessarily think of as requiring a lot of mobility and flexibility on the human side. hmm um, But having muscles that don't require pre-stretching, yep. having joints that don't require pre-stretching, and being able to go from... You know, explosive movement. To I need to just be real still and calm for a minute, yeah, or thirty seconds or whatever, yeah, or less. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it becomes really important.
1: Yeah, one of this is a this is a good exercise in fundamental position shooting being adapted to the battle space, the battlefield. Your your engagement, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we had a couple guys who who do who have maintained. Um, pretty good health, pretty good fitness. Um, one of gentlemen plays uh, sports. Um, I, I think it's a baseball thing, yeah, right? The sports stickball. It's a yeah. The sports stick ball, the small stick ball, um, and and actually has good mobility. It's, it's pretty fast. It moves well, um, but also I think has good mobility. And I would say part of that is probably stre- pre-game stretching, warm-ups, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, and I think he's a hurler, so I think he's got to be stretched out. Stretched up pretty good and stay stretched up and warm, and and he was actually shooting from a position that's colloquially referred to as rice patty prone, where basically you're in a full squat. You are you are pardon the French, but you are ass in the grass in a squat, and you are not doing bone on bone contact. You're hanging your knee, your elbows over your knees. Turns out to be a pretty stable improvised shooting yeah. position, um, and I actually when when my lower back will let me when I'm you know when I'm not torqued and worn out. Um, and that day I'd actually done two workouts. I did a boxing workout and did a bunch of lunges and stuff like that. Um, and so getting in, I could not get into a rice patty, but I could get into seated pretty well, but for whatever, I mean, I was just, I was just smoked. My legs were smoked, but the moral of the story being, um, he was able to get in rice patty And then another one of our guys has really good ankle mobility, knee mobility, hip mobility. Um, and not somebody who works out a lot necessarily, but somebody who's trim and maintains their health and stays at a healthy weight and can move. Um, he gets a lot of his exercise jumping to conclusions and flying off the handle. Um, but we love him for it because it makes them interesting. Um, but he was getting in a seated position and there's seated position where you're sitting on your heel and then there's sitting position where you've got your foot sideways, and that position's even a little more stable. And he was beating the snot out of the targets. Both of them were beating the snot out of the targets. Everybody else who was trying to do some kind of squatting slash rigid kneeling position, etc., was struggling a little bit. And the guys who had the mobility, I think, had an advantage over the guys maybe who have strength necessarily yeah. but don't have the mobility. And and I, I think it kind of showed a little bit So in that particular instance because so, you weren't going to prone. Yeah. yeah. Once you got to prone, things evened out pretty good. Yeah. So, um, so, any what else on the the peel? Anything that you yeah, know,
0: the center peel. It's one of those things like knowing how to do it because it works really well on a road in an alley, yeah, on a trail, um, some kind some kind of area where you are confined um, in a vertical fashion.
1: Yeah, where you're stuck in a um, in a linear movement yeah. because of terrain or or buildings or whatever. So yeah,
0: yeah. Um, from there, we did a a side peel. Uh, cause we were able to get everybody line abreast. Uh-huh. And then after the side peel, um, basically just bounding back. So everybody's in their swim lane. Um, uh-huh. uh, imagine, literally imagine a swim pool with the painted lines on the bottom of it. Um, everybody stays in their painted line. Yeah. You go back, um, five to 10 yards at a time, get back down the other. We were moving one fire team at a time. Yep. Uh, so it kept everybody relatively online. Yeah. Um, and then all the people that were together, um, importantly, were online.
1: Yeah. And guys, so this is uh, the, the, the mantra in your head. It, you know, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down. That's about the amount of time you want to spend up. So basically, if you're doing going to prone, you're doing a burpee. You're, you're coming out of a burpee from the ground. You're getting up, taking I, I, five to seven steps. Yeah, it's quick. It's really quick, and it sucks because you're doing a burpee over and over again with the gun, with your gear, etc. So basically, you're you're popping up, turning, and going for that five to seven steps while the other element is covering you uh, with that rifleman's cadence of fire, not just burning through ammo, but shooting at targets that actually present themselves mm-hmm. um, in a in a controlled fashion, trying to make hits, etc. Um, there was a, a brief conversation, um, you know, around the idea of. You know, in a military environment, there may be some suppressive fire going on here, too. If half your element's moving, you may have guys that are sending rounds at the bad guys, even if they can't see them, um, because the reality check is if you've ever heard a bullet snap over your head, a supersonic snap over your head, um, it it makes you not want to poke your melon up above defilade cover, or concealment, any of those things. Um, You know, so basically the gist of it being in a civilian environment, I don't know what we're looking at. If you're doing, if you have, if you have created two fire teams in an eight-man element, and you are breaking contact from fire, um, you're probably not in a civilian environment. I don't care where you are. You're probably not actually in a civilian environment. You are in the combats. Or Chicago. Or Chicago, either way, um, on July 4th weekend. So there's a you know there's a conversation around you know some of this stuff about suppressive fire and things like that. You kind of have to step out of the idea of I'm in a civilian environment. I'm responsible for every single projectile that's fired. This is this is literally kind of a combat kind of mentality um, that can be applied to small unit tactics in, in the same fashion as like perhaps maybe like a SWAT team or something like that. Yep. But there's different ROEs and different responsibilities at that level of law enforcement for this kind of movement. Um, but we did have a, we did discuss that you know round accountability etc. Um, it would be for naught if you were protecting your neighborhood from whatever manner of uprising and you killed one of your neighbors on accident by sending a bunch of rounds someplace you shouldn't have because you weren't thinking through it. So those things still apply. There's still a moral concept to each round being accountable, but understand that there's also a reasonableness to keeping someone's head down in that environment too. Uh, that's something you'll have to wrestle with yourself in your environment and your team. Um and make sure that what you're doing is still responsible. Because I can promise you, if you know you get an engagement with the bad guys and you hurt friendlies because you were lazy and unaccountable, you won't be the good guy anymore. Yeah. Work your way through that. Um sorry, side note there. Um (laughs) so moving into the uh what what's what's the peel called coming out of the coming out of the The linear peel. The side peel. The side peel. And then basically retreating away over yeah. the course of, you know, 100, 200 yards, whatever. Um, you don't realize how much work that is when you're doing it five, seven yards at a time. Um, we simulated short movements with longer movements on a few different <laughs> occasions. I think because everybody's at some point wanted it to be over. Uh, you start dropping to prone. The targets we were shooting at were, uh, were, were less than people-sized, uh, but I think we're generous for what we were doing. Um, you yeah. Know, you know, because because you, you're going to prone, you're out of breath, etc. Uh, guys were consistently making hits. Everybody was consistently. I'm not saying there weren't any misses, but guys were consistently making hits, um, even once you're smoked, even once you've been up and down and up and down and moved and everything else. Um, when you start talking about the movement, the swim lane concept, um, you will hear the concept of dead space being bandied about. Um, you'll hear conversations around when is it safe to shoot, um, square range mentality versus real world mentality. And then how much can you do in a training environment to simulate these things in a safe fashion? Um, we really had everybody spread out. We had eight guys spread out across the facility we were using. Um, and even the four-man teams, were, were, the guys were well spread out. And then we left a big gap between the two elements just to create that manner of safety. Um, in, in the rural world, there may be situations where you're not quite shooting over somebody's head, but you've got to be aware of how close is that guy that you're, you know, when he gets up to move, and your lane's tight, if he gets up to move and chooses to turn into you, are you ready to, to safe the weapon and not be pointing downrange to give that guy room to move and hope that the rest of your team can cover you? Or are you prepared to maybe move a little bit or do something different? And is that guy prepared too to try and be aware of where you are before he moves, he or she moves? If they're poking their head up and looking and aware of where their team is and where the other element is or the other fire team is, you know, just knowing where everybody's at, that shoot, move, communicate, part of communication is visual and looking around you and seeing where everybody's at. And it might be nonverbal. The communication may be, oh, that dude's there, so I can't go there, or I don't want to go that direction. Where am I going from there? And so this probably plays itself out in a much more critical fashion in, in a non-flat range environment. When you start talking about in houses, cars, etc., if you start moving to a point of cover and somebody's trying to cover you from that position, <laughs> are you running into their line of fire and are they aware of it and how sucked in are they and how safe? So, and a, you know, from a training perspective, this is not something to take lightly. You definitely want to go do this with somebody who can teach this in a safe fashion and understands all this stuff. And then when you start applying the safety aspect of it to the real world, if you ever had to do this, it still applies because if you shoot your own teammate, you're now you're down a guy. Maybe worse because now you may have to fix that guy, and, and, he's, and carry him along, and carry him along, and he may not be happy with you after he finds out you shot him. Then not the bad guy, especially if he sees you do it. That might be a bad day. Yeah, yeah. So um, the safety aspect of this is definitely a big deal. Um, we did a number of run-throughs in um, and, and all these movements, dry, um, guns unloaded, just having guys get up and move. Um, it, I think it, normally I would say that we do the movements once we go hot we do them at you know maybe a half speed kind of pace but I think everybody gets excited and moves a little bit better than that but again we have a group of guys who have done this enough times that everybody keeps their head screwed on straight nobody gets too excited about it and everybody does that that quick peek in both directions before they do anything just to make sure okay is what I'm doing the right thing to be doing is it safe etc um I still think all that works its way into the battle space at some point. Once you're squared away with enough of this stuff, you get a feel for how much looking around you need to do before you do things. And I think that's just as important as the shooting aspect of this. Yeah, one if not of, more.
0: One of the big takeaways I've had from training classes is when you pop up, taking the half a second to figure out what is directly behind you. Yep. Before you start moving. Yep. Um, that way you don't run into, the, don't run towards somebody's muzzle. Yeah. But you give your buddies the opportunity to provide covering fire for you.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the dead space again—that conversation around dead space. Um, you know, there's a pretty significant conversation around um, is somebody going to react unpredictably to something. And and I had it presented to me this way um, in a tactical response class back in the day, and we talked about dead space from a perspective of what if the guy in the lane next to you. Um, what if the guy in the lane next to you is, gets stung by a bee or there's a bee around him and he's has a, and you knows he's going to have an anaphylactic reaction if he gets shot, stung, or what if he just got shot by somebody else? What if he just had an ND and shot himself in the foot and he's trying not to fall over, but he falls in front of that kind of mentality. Do you have that kind of space to give that truly unpredicted reaction from your teammate a, a chance to, to not shoot that person or hurt that person, um, You've got to think about it in those terms, and then when you translate that over to a training environment, there's truly a risk-reward conversation. If you've never done any of this stuff, never been trained how to do it properly, by somebody who knows what the hell they're doing, and then showing up on the range and trying to teach somebody else how to do it, um, those spaces have to be increased uh, like exponentially, not not just incrementally, but exponentially, to make sure you're doing that. So you know, like I said, if you're gonna if this is something that's interesting to you, who are the guys? Uh, is it Max? Yeah, uh, Max, Velocity? Max
0: Velocity in West Virginia um, is a good place to look for this kind of training. That's relatively close. Yeah, it's relatively close. Um, the same with Tactical Response down in Camden, Tennessee. Um, you'll want to do their high-risk civilian contractor um, small unit tactics class.
1: Yeah, the HRCC class, uh, the Max class. I'm, just, I'm sure there's other people who teach this. Yeah, finding,
0: um, finding somebody who's actually been all the way through ranger school. Yeah. Um, and then been in, you know, Batata or Ranger bat for mm-hmm. a couple of years. Yeah. They they've had enough uh, being all this kind of stuff drilled into them and when they screw it up, have it corrected um, yeah. to the point where it's damn near perfect. Yeah. Uh, would be worth somebody seeking out. Um, same yes. with, you know, somebody who's actually been all the way through the SF pipeline. Yeah. Um, Cause that person's also probably been all the way through Ranger school.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that, that was, and I guess that's why this stuff's interesting to me. Cause this is like almost like a playing dress up kind of night. Um, but you're learning something that hopefully you'll never have to take out and try and cobble together a team of your neighbors, um, or a team of whoever's left standing kind of conversation. Uh, but it's just one of those things that it's, it's a great workout. It's a good shooting challenge. It's a good mental challenge. Um, and again, I hope to God I never have to use it in the real world, but it's definitely interesting and maybe having the basics of how, how to instruct a group of people to move, um, in a safe and thoughtful fashion through space and then what to do when the O poop happens and you need to react to it. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, again, I, that we talk about this night, you know, once or twice a year, and, and we do this a couple nights, and it's every time it's like, oh, learn this, learn that. And this definitely was the best gelling of everybody able to put the thoughtful end of it along with the shooting end of it. Um, and the shoot, move, communicate thing, I think, worked pretty well, except for the moves got a little long. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, the, any, any, I'm trying to think of gear issues. I'm trying to think anybody was running anything. Yeah, gear um, went,
0: like, surprisingly st- Surprisingly straightforward with no issues. Yep. I think everyone had some kind of magnified optic. Yep. Um, be that either a one to six or one to eight low power variable scope, uh-huh. a three X ACOG, yep. or one gentleman. I, I don't know if he's even a gentleman. <laughs> um, one individual had um, a red dot with a three X magnifier. Yeah. That he could switch to um, once he felt the distance required the magnification. Yeah. And the, that I believe contributed significantly to people making hits. I would agree. Especially past 200 yards. Um, The magnification really makes a difference. Being able to use subtensions on a reticle for dealing with holdover as opposed to putting a dot somewhere where you think it needs to be. Yeah, Uh, We also got really lucky with there being minimal um, wind, dare I speak? True. Speak the word. Yeah,
1: the word. The word. We must not speak the word. Um, Yeah, wind was not a factor for sure, and it can be beyond 200 yards, beyond 150, 200 yards with an AR. Um, on moderate-sized targets, you know, which is where we were. Um, Yeah, but, I mean, I think everybody held their own once they got back. Again, a lot of shooting from prone, so that kind of helps things quite a bit um, in that regard. But everybody there was, by the time you got back past 200, 250 yards, everybody was smoked, everybody was breathing heavy. Um, It's just part of the game. Um, The age band for this training group is about double the normal age band for the guys who actually do this for a living. Um, So I was pretty, pretty cool with where everybody was at there, too, because pretty much as we finished up each iteration, and went back and kind of did the little after action or the little debrief on each movement and talk about what we did wrong what we did right things we could do better etc um, after every movement generally everybody was in the game and able to talk and breathe and stuff like that including myself so that was I was happy with that that was kind yep. of cool it's this is you mentioned that this was a marker for you to kind of see where your
0: yeah this is where really, your
1: ability is or your pt is so
0: this is a really good you yeah, we don't do it again we do this about once a year yeah. Um, but it definitely lets you know if what you've been doing for the past year PT wise has been the right thing or not.
1: Yeah. And I would say for everybody there, I think whatever everybody's been doing was a significant change because and, and again, we did have a ten degree differential or ten or fifteen degree differential in temperature over where we're normally at. And it, it was it was almost pleasant to do that this yeah. year, which is a little frightening. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh I yeah, they yeah. like said it you know. Go take a class. Go learn how to do this. Um, This is not the same as, you know, two, three, four man in a structure. This is a whole different beast. Um, This is fighting outside. This is fighting outside. But, but again, shoot, move, communicate does not change. And it forces you to have some spatial awareness. It forces you to talk to people. uh, And it forces you to shoot from improvised positions. One of the things you run into, flat range mentality, you're able to drop down prone a lot. Um, The particular facility we're on, part of the range required you to shoot from a knee as far out as 250 yards. Um, that was that was definitely learning occurred there too. Um, I, I, I just, like I said, good stuff, good night, yeah. good fun, good learning, good everything, but forcing you to put things together, kind of like the shoot house does inside, it forces you to put things together. So Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah on that note, um, give us a follow along on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as long as we can stick around there. Come Master. Uh, yeah, search for Cap City Outfitters on Facebook. Outfitters 2 on Instagram. Uh, On our website, CapCityOutfitters.com, you can find valuable information such as how to do an FFL transfer, how to purchase a suppressor over at our storefront at silencershop.com. Additionally, you can sign up for our email newsletter that comes out on Fridays uh, or send us an email to info at CapCityOutfitters.com and we will add you to the newsletter list. Uh, Yeah, we are here in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. We're in front of the Aldi's. We're directly next to Louis Fusion Drill. And through the summer, we are running 10 to 5 Tuesday through Friday and then 10 to 3 on Saturdays. Yes. And we look forward to seeing you soon.
1: Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it.